morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today on this 19th Sunday after Pentecost. Jesus is teaching at the temple, and the Pharisees come and talk to him, and basically addressing him with the same objection that they had to John the Baptist. Why is it that you are eating and spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes? And so he tells them a story about two sons. We'll consider that a little bit in our sermon today from the book of Philippians as we look at what does it really mean when we talk about the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. We'll talk about it a little bit differently than that. The service is outlined for you in your service folder. We'll begin with hymn number 494 and then continue in the front part of your red hymn on page 26. God bless your worship. We continue on page 26 in the very front portion of your red hymnal. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Also with you. God invites us to come into his presence and worship him with humble and penitent hearts. Therefore, let us acknowledge our sinfulness and ask him to forgive us. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful, and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil, and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by His authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For all that we need in life, and for the wisdom to use all your gifts with gratitude and joy, hear our prayer, O Lord. For the steadfast 
best assurance that nothing can separate us from your love, and for the courage to stand firm against the assaults of Satan and every evil. Hear our prayer, O Christ. For the well-being of your holy church and all the world, and for those who offer here their worship and praise, hear our prayer, O Lord. Merciful God, maker and preserver of life, uphold us by your power and keep us in your tender care. The works of the Lord are great and glorious. His name is worthy of praise. your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. today revolve around the same theme that we see here in Ezekiel chapter 18, that God wants real repentance leading to true and complete obedience. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean, you who keep repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Fathers eat sour grapes, and the teeth of their sons are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the Lord God, you will never again use this proverb in Israel. Indeed, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father is mine, just like the soul of the Son. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Yet you say, the Lord's way is not fair. Listen now, O house of Israel, is it my way that is not fair? Is it not your ways that are not fair? If a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and practices unrighteousness, he will die because of it. Because of the unrighteousness that he has practiced, he will die. But if a wicked man repents of his wickedness that he has done and practices justice and righteousness, he will preserve his life. Because he has seen and repented of all the rebellious acts that he had committed, he will surely live, and he will not die. But the house of Israel says, The Lord's way is not fair. Is it really my ways that are not fair, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not fair? Therefore, I will judge each one of you according to his ways, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your rebellious acts, so that you will not set out a stumbling block that makes you guilty. Throw off from yourselves all your rebellious actions by which you have rebelled, and get for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. So repent and live. The word of the Lord. 
We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 25, as found on page 74. second reading from Philippians chapter 2. Real repentance leads us to the true obedience of imitating Christ. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. But in humility, consider one another better than yourselves. Let each of you look carefully not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Indeed, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed, but he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. When he was born in human likeness and his appearance was like that of any other man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our theme verse is printed for you there, the final two verses from our reading. Alleluia. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Alleluia.
Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Today's gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 21. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. He came to the second and said the same thing. The second son answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. However, the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. Even when you saw this, you did not change your mind and believe him. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. for our hymn of the day, number 306. from your own catechism instruction, and it's the same catechism that we've been using since Martin Luther wrote it in 1528 or 1529, where we look at the commandments first. You sit down with your 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th graders in catechism class, or perhaps at your own home, and you look at the commandments, and you get to, for instance, the 5th commandment, and the younger children just learn the commandments, you shall not murder. As they get older, they begin to learn the rest. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and be a friend to him in every bodily need. And the way Martin Luther wrote the Catechism, he put the commandments first. 
And you might get the impression, looking at those, as you go through the study of them, or think about them, or just considering the prominence that they have in our catechism, you might get the impression, okay, this is fairly straightforward. God wants me to not have any other gods, to watch the way that I talk, to honor the Sabbath day, to honor my parents, to not commit adultery, to, um, to not murder, to not steal, to not give false testimony, or to covet. Plain and simple, right? And you might get the impression that that's the point. One parent that I had spoken with not too long ago said, Well, yeah, Pastor, by the time I, my, my child finishes catechism, of course I want them to know the commandments. Of course I want them to know the Lord's Prayer. But morality is not the goal of the Christian faith. And you might wonder to yourself, well, Pastor Hagen, morality is a good thing, and outwardly moral life, and God gives his law for a purpose. <coughs> Let's just go down that rabbit hole for a minute. Because if we misunderstand the goal of the Christian life, and where my Christian faith, and where my Christian action really meet, then we'll find all sorts of wrong interpretations for the parables of Jesus. This man says to his son, go and work. He says, I will, and he doesn't. He says to his other son, go and work. He says, I won't, but he does. And if, if we just looked at the parables of Jesus, where pretty much all of them are, have a point of the law, where Jesus is trying to make, much like the Ten Commandments, a point of the law to be like this or to not do that, if we begin to think at least in the back of our minds, that morality were the goal of the Christian life, there would be lots and lots of ground to plow, plowing through the commandments, plowing through the parables, so much that we would probably never get to anything else. And we would teach our children, you've got to have these character traits, you've got to be like the Good Samaritan, you've got to be like the son that does, even though he did it at the beginning. But morality... It's not the goal of the Christian life. And Paul really makes that point here in Philippians chapter 2. But how? But how? Because you look at the commandments, and Paul basically echoes it in the opening verses of Philippians chapter 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united in the Spirit, having one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, and humility, considering one another better than yourselves. And it looks just like this list. This list of good and moral and upright actions that we can't find anything wrong in those. Those are all good things to be doing. Those are the sorts of traits that we want the citizens of our country to, to have and to live out and to inhabit. But how? How should we use Christ as our example? Because, once again, morality is not the goal of the Christian faith. And this is probably, probably the point where Lutherans have tended to fall down. The old saying attributed to Martin Luther that, well... It's easy to preach for, for Easter. And it's easy to preach God's grace on Good Friday. But try preaching about God's grace the rest of the year, apart from Christmas and Epiphany, Good Friday, and Easter, and Ascension. Because we've got that whole justification thing down pat. That you're standing, my standing before God rests entirely and solely on the, the life death, physical resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus. And because of that fact, God has declared you not guilty. There's nothing you can add to it, nothing you can do to subtract from it. And Lutherans might get the impression, oh, alright, it's free. Much like last week, the parable that Jesus told of the, the workers in the vineyard. They both got paid the same, whether they worked for 12 hours or 1 hour. So, the astute observer would say, why spend all the time working for 12 hours when I just have to make sure to show up before the dinner bell rings? And the answer of some, look to Christ as example. 
Well, Jesus did this. What would Jesus do? The answer of many. What would Jesus tell you to do? He's a, he's a good teacher. He has good things to say. Be like the good Samaritan. Be like the one son. Actually, be like the son that said yes and then did it. Kind of amalgamating those two sons into one perfect son. But morality is not the goal of the Christian life. So why do we spend so much time on the commandments? And why and how are we supposed to use these parables of Jesus? How can we properly look to Jesus as our example? Because that's really where Paul goes. How? Why? Because you've got to remember, God's law has three basic uses. There's the, the curb, which kind of helps restrain sinful behavior the way that a curb on the street hopefully keeps people from bumping into Pastor Hagen's car. You've got a mirror, which reflects back to me my sinful action and my lack of godliness. And then you've got the guide, a guide for thankful Christian living. And Martin Luther made use of these when he, he uh, wrote the What Does This Mean? The Explanations to the Commandments. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not curb and mirror, hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but that we should guide, help and befriend him in every bodily need. And I would suggest that, that a misunderstanding of God's law will lead people into an even greater misunderstanding of God's grace. Because it's very easy to use, to use the commandments and to use the parables as a guideline for morality. It's, it's God's law. But the point that Jesus makes in the parable today is that it doesn't matter so much what the outward action is. If the outward action is good and the heart isn't there, then it's worthless. And if the outward action isn't good, but then there is repentance, then there is forgiveness. So what does all that mean in your life and mine? I hear it, Pastor, you've said it like 15 times, that morality is not the goal of Christian faith and the Christian life. Paul takes us by the hand and says, Dear Christian, the very first part of the what does this mean is very simple. We all know it very well. We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. And the other nine commandments. The first part that says, oh, stay away from this outward and violent action. Stay away from gross idolatry. Stay away from hurting and harming and murdering and theft and lying and gossip and slander. And we could say, oh, I can, I can kind of do that. Felt pretty good. I got, you know, four out of ten today. But it's that second part. But help and befriend him in every bodily need. Or the other nine. This is the godly action for you and me to do. Because like that, like that son in the parable, it's very easy to say, oh, I've got, I've got the externals figured out. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll refrain from murdering people. Um, I've made it, what, 32 years thus far without killing anybody. At least, well, without killing anybody. And it's very simple enough to say, well, check that box off. But Paul says, what about the rest? In his parable, Jesus says, what about the rest? That dear Christian, basically, it's very easy to, to have a good outward display and to outwardly keep God's actions, but is your heart really in it? Or is your heart harboring thoughts about, well, you know, that person, ah, they kind of irritate me. And behind the screen that each of us puts up are the thoughts that totally demolish any obedience to the commands of God. Help and befriend him? Well, I can, I can restrain my hand from killing somebody, but extending that hand to help somebody? No. 
I can I can divert my eyes or or restrain my hand from stealing or guard my tongue at least uh, at least around the people that I need to guard my tongue around so that I don't say what I shouldn't say and speak behind somebody's back and I don't take what isn't mine. But the desire to take, the thoughts that just go around and around, considering, well, you know, thank God I'm not like that person over there. And the answer of morality would say, well, look to Jesus as your example. Just try harder. Do what Jesus did. What would Jesus do? Well, morality says you're Christian. Here you go. You've got the blueprint. You've got the path. You've got the map. Just follow like Jesus did. Just try harder. Put your nose to the grindstone. Jesus was absolutely perfect in thought and word and deed. And morality says, you should be the same. And morality says, well, we'll help you along. Maybe you just need a set of principles and some advice and another book or a podcast, the self-help, you name it. Maybe you just need some new thinking habits that will totally reshape your thinking so that you are finally a full and complete person. But the point that Jesus is driving at is that morality is not the goal of the Christian faith. But we can still look to Jesus as our example. Second. Because the primary goal, primary purpose of God's law is to be a mirror. To show our sin. To lead us to repent and despair. Well, Lord, I'm like the first son in that um, I don't do it. And I'm like the second son where I respond angrily. No way. I've done that. In thought, in word, in deed. God's law reflects back our sinfulness. And when we see it as it really is, it's bad. And the first answer isn't to say, well, hold out Jesus as your example. First, we have to address God's law and the demands of holiness and the demands of perfection that have never been watered down. Dear Christian, that's where we spend most of our time because that's the place where your Christian life is found. That's the place where your spiritual life is nourished, and that's the goal of your Christian life, to, to lead you to deeper roots in this one simple, basic truth. That without any strings attached, without any conditions in the fine print, the Son of God, true God from eternity, took on human flesh within the womb of the Virgin Mary. And he, as Paul puts it, did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed and used for his own glory. But he emptied himself, and he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, and humiliating himself, humbling himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And right there, the greatest glory of God is revealed, where God has had mercy on sinners, you and me. The God who takes no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies has said, well, I don't want you to die. So I'll let my son die instead and have him die in a place. And so first, we, we must hold on to the one basic truth that, that forms and shapes our entire Christian life. That yes, it's true, God has forgiven you totally free of charge. And he has made you his own. When he gave you spiritual life through baptism, he has forgiven your sin, and that is an absolutely rock-solid declaration of God. And that is something that, that inspires and leads to every sort of Christian action. Because the heart that recognizes the terror over sin and recognizes the salvation we have through Jesus isn't a heart that, that says, okay, it's a heart that says, Lord, just give me one more day. Give me one more hour to sing your praise. Give me a, a voice today that I may you know, avoid cold and flu season and sing at the top of my lungs. And to say, thank you, Lord, for taking my shame upon yourself and for washing it away in your own blood and for guaranteeing 
No strings attached. Nothing that I can do or should do or even could do to complete or finish it because as Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. So that takes care of, of God's law. At least the first two, the curve and the mirror. That Christ is your substitute. Completely. And there is nothing left that you can do to add to your salvation or your standing in God's eyes. But then we get to the other part. Morality still isn't the goal of the Christian life. But how can we properly look at Christ as our example? Well, only through the, the glasses of Christ as our substitute. You know, we probably wear glasses. Oh, yeah, I've got a fuzzy there. Um, you, you all wear glasses, or many of you do, and maybe at least you wear sunglasses. And you're driving down the road as the snow is melting in the springtime, and the glare is just so incredible that you cannot see anything. Well, of course, you grab on the glasses and pop them over your own glasses if you do wear glasses. And all of a sudden, the glare is cut, and you can see clearly to drive where you need to drive. That's exactly the picture that Paul has for us here. Not that we all necessarily wear, you know, the golden glasses, terminator glasses like Pastor Hagen, but that when God brought you to faith, he gave you a new set of glasses that says you're Christian. Your entire life is now spent marked with the cross of Christ on your forehead and seeing everything through the empty tomb of your Savior. And so God says, well, now, and only now, can you see Christ as your example? When you see Christ as your example through the eyesight of Christ as your substitute. And so Paul writes, If, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, all things that God has entrusted to you, then make my joy complete. He goes on about being like-minded, compassionate, um, considering one another better than oneself. And why? He leads us back to that core foundational reason, where he says, morality is not the goal of the Christian faith. This attitude that God wants to reflect in you was first exhibited in Christ Jesus as he measured up to God's law completely and now as he dragged his cross all the way to Golgotha and as he was placed in the empty tomb we follow along in that track he humbled himself taking on the nature of a servant born in human likeness his appearance was like that of any other man he had flesh and bones and still does because he retains his human nature and at the same time he is true God and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And doesn't that describe the Christian life? That our life here, marked by the cross, is one characterized by obedience to, the, to our Lord and service to Him. Where even as a Christian now, as a Christian, you can now look to Jesus as your example and say, Wow, okay. I can do that not by my own will and not by my own efforts, but because my Lord has given me life. And as Jesus walked through this life, so also he pulls me along through his word and through his law. He lays out the path and he says, Dear Christian, go on your way. Be like that third son who said yes in word and then did it in action with a cheerful heart and thought. And carry out the commandments. We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but rather help and befriend him in every body we need. And we begin to see the example of our Lord Jesus Christ is really just your life as a Christian. And the example of our Lord Jesus Christ is every reason to work at it. But God has most certainly not left you alone. Because just as Jesus was present in that room with his disciples, you see, there's, there's no reason to be dejected about it. Because now, God's law no longer accuses you. God's law is 
totally forgotten and thrown out the window. Yes, it's still holy, but because Jesus lived up to it, you do too. And so God says, well, go ahead. Whatever it may be, do your best. Awesome. Kind of like, kind of like the, the little child who, who draws this beautiful picture for a three-year-old and mom and dad put it up on the fridge. It's not exactly a Rembrandt or a Van Gogh, but it's special. And it's special not because it's such a fantastic piece of artwork, but because of the relationship between the beloved and the one who loves. And, and so the little child, or you and I, living our Christian life, we present our work to God, and it, it might not be the most beautiful and stellar by the world's standards, but God says, I love this. I love this. You made this? You did, you did this for me? And he puts it on his fridge. And I would, I would admit that perhaps there's a little bit of lingering doubt about how this all plays out and how can I do this? Because, yes, even when we use God's law in the third use as our example and as our guide to thankful Christian living, the first two uses of the law are not far behind. And so I would submit to you that exactly what Paul talks about here, about your example, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, is exactly what God gives to you up here. The Jesus who took on flesh is the Jesus who now says, I'm coming to you in a special way. And the Christian who says, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can live up to this because uh, I'm just drained enough as it is. God says, well, here, you do live up to it. You have lived up to it. Just consider briefly the closing prayer in our liturgy for today after the distribution. Hear the prayer of your people, O Lord, that the lips which have praised you here may glorify you in the world, that the eyes which have seen the coming of your Son may long for his coming again. And three, and that all who have received in his true body and blood the pledge of your forgiveness may be restored to live a new and holy life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right there. In tangible, tasteable way. Jesus says, you're Christian. You do measure up. You're Christian. You are holy in God's eyes. And so now go and lead your life. And now that you've seen Christ through the glasses of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and now that you have tasted His true body and blood, now, finally, morality is not the goal of the Christian life, but better than morality is the result of the Christian life. We consider Christ as our example. How can I be the, the hands of Christ? The mouth, the heart, the arms, the feet, in this world. Well, right there. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God considered equality with God as nothing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on our human nature. All for you. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We continue with the Nicene Creed as found on page 31. We believe in one God, the Father and the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, 
He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one and only Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We live for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering. personal preparation for Holy Communion as found on page 156. Please rise. Page 156. What does God tell me about myself in His Holy Word? He says that I am a sinner deserve only His punishment. What should I do if I am not aware of my sins or am not troubled by them? I should examine myself according to the Ten Commandments and ask how well I have carried out my responsibilities as a husband or wife or single person, as a parent or child, an employer or employee, a teacher or student. Have I loved God with all my heart? Have I heard His word and patiently endured affliction? Have I been disobedient, proud, or unforgiving? Have I been selfish, lazy, envious, or quarrelsome? Have I lied or deceived, taking something not mine, or giving anyone a bad Have I abused my body, or committed indecent thoughts to linger in my mind? Have I failed to do what is right and good? When I realize that I have sinned against God and deserve His punishment, what should I do? I will confess before God all my sins, those which I remember, as well as those with which I am unaware. I will praise God for His mercy and forgiveness. How do I receive His gracious forgiveness? His word assures me that Jesus led a pure and holy life for me, and died on the cross for me, to pay the full price for all my sins. Through faith in Jesus, I have been clothed in my Savior's perfect righteousness and holiness. What further assurance do I have that Jesus is mine and I am His? In holy communion, He gives me His body and blood together with the bread and the wine as a truly life-giving food and drink to unite me with Him and my fellow believers. By means of this sacrament, Jesus not only forgives my sins, but sweeps away all my doubts about His love for me, gives me His own strength to live a God-pleasing life, and grants me a joyful foretaste of heaven. How can I be sure that I receive all these blessings of the Lord's Supper? I have His own words spoken as His last will and testament on the night before He died. 
There he tells me, Take and eat, this is my body. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. How will I respond to this priceless gift from Jesus? I will daily thank and praise him for his love to me. With his help, I will fight temptation, do my best to correct whatever wrongs I have done, and serve him and those around me with love and good works. And we join to pray. Lord Jesus, with joy and gratitude, I now come to your table to receive the precious food of your life-giving body and blood. May it strengthen us to remain in you as you remain in each of us, so that we may bear much fruit in devoted service to you and in acts of kindness toward others. And also in our prayers today, Eternal Father, you alone make the decisions about life and death. We implore your mercy on Deb Barnes' mom, Nora Zimmerman, whose departure from this life seems near at hand. As she passes through the valley of the shadow of death, comfort her with faith's assurance that you are with her and that she need not be overcome by fear. Spare her extreme physical pain. Encourage her and her loved ones with the sure hope of the glory that you have prepared for your believers in heaven. Into your hands we commit her, O Lord, our Redeemer. And we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We continue with our preparation for the sacrament on page 33. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He sends the Holy Spirit to testify that we are his children and to strengthen us when we are weak. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and thanks and honor and glory forever and ever. gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
continue with the song of thanksgiving on page 36. Please rise. Once again, um, the only announcements are listed for you there. Actually, there's uh, two others. Um, we won't be having cap class or catechism class this week. Uh, at the end of the week is the MEA break, break as well for our school kids, so it kind of matches up. Um, 
Saturday is the LWMS, LWMS rally in uh, Mankato at St. Mark. If you're still interested, talk to Doris or Desiree. Um, and there's also a sign up at the back lectern if you'd like to go to the children's theater. That's like the first um, first weekend or that first full week of November. Uh, so give that a look and talk to Doris. <laughs> sure, sure. Always. Oh, it's a uh, it's a regular theatrical musical production, not children's theater. <laughs> Thank you very much. God bless your week.